and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. Now, we have talked about the need for better human skills and leadership over the course of the first 50 or so episodes of this podcast now. We've talked about the way we can engage, support, and stretch our people in a commercial and compassionate sense as we face into the changing workscape. What we haven't really spoken about in much detail is how the physical environment plays its part in that. And I'm not just talking about how you set your office up and people up for working in a hybrid world, I'm talking about how to truly create human-centric workplaces where we can all do our best work, where also we're aware of the impact that we're having on the communities in which we work and the planet that we currently inhabit. It's the coming together, if you like, of context, leadership positioning, and the physical space of work. Now, the physical space of work is not a subject I'm anything like an expert on, My time spent with property and facilities people over my career normally centered around the deployment of a brand and a desired customer experience that I wanted delivered in in one of our venues and how the design and the fixtures and fittings all fulfilled that. The good thing today is that I'm joined by someone who is an expert in that sense and also has a clear connection between where we work, why we work, and how that should be led to best effect. I'm joined by Simone Fenton Jarvis, who, among many other things, is a facilities management professional, a podcaster, a speaker, and author of the recent book, The Human-Centric Workplace. Now, Simone focuses on how to combine culture, space, process, and technology to deliver successful, meaningful change and business improvements. So, look, I'm really interested to hear more about how today's workplace is changing, why we need to strive for better, and how we can do better, and the effect that's going to have on our people, communities, and the planet. Welcome to the show, Simone. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. I've been looking at your stuff for a while now um, and listening to what you've got to say, and now people can read about what you've got to say, which is fantastic. And hopefully we can can dig into quite a bit of that uh, with our time together today. But before we get going, I've given a quite a clumsy intro to, to you and what you do. Why don't you just give us a flavour of who you are and what you're up to right now and what's really taking your focus at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I guess you know, my background, like you said, is in facilities management. Um, as my career progressed, I headed more into the workplace. So it wasn't necessarily just about, I want to say the building, um, but more looking at the people, the technology, so the whole workplace. Um, and as my career's kind of progressed, I've I've gone from occupier side to the the dark side of consultancy. Um, 
and yeah, I think you know it's been it's been eye-opening to see both sides. But I think the thing that I wanted to do when I went over to consultancy was all of them things that used to irritate me about when I was an occupier about consultants coming in. I was trying to fix that. So as a consultant, there's certain things that I do and don't do. Um, and yeah, I think that's um, that's been that's what's kind of I guess driven me to this point and. Obviously, I wrote a book during lockdown, um, which was a strange and awesome experience all, all <laughs> in one. Um, yeah, it was testing, but great at the same time. And then, yeah, spent the last kind of year really promoing that. Um, obviously, I've got a, a full-time job where I work for a company called Willogix, a Canadian company, where essentially I'm working with organizations on what data exists in their organization um, and how can we drive a better employee experience, you know, better design of the space, better, more sustainable, um, just different, different things. It depends obviously what the data is telling us. So yeah, it's been, it's been a fun and crazy whirlwind of a year, really. Amazing. And as somebody who has literally just finished penning a single chapter for a book collaboration, I take my hat off to you for writing a whole book. I mean, just the single chapter was tough enough, especially editors comments. I mean, I'm quite a, fragile individual they're brutal those people <laughs> yeah. do you know what I, I I felt the same so when I first put the draft in um I had this moment of like oh this is the first time that anybody has read the book start to finish and it's their job to like pull it apart and I remember when I got my my draft back with the edits on it and it said something like 5,000 edits and comments and I just put my head in my hands and was like <laughs> oh my god where do I start with this? And do you know what? To my utter relief, a lot of the comments, and I'm saying probably about 4,800 of them, were related to just Americanizing the language. Right. Lots of Z, 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 and like O's and U's removed. And, you know, it was just, so I was a little relieved it wasn't just 5,000 hard comments about what I've written. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I gosh, what would you do with that? I mean, let's dig into this a little bit, though, right? So, the book. Tell me. Where did it come from? What was the inspiration? It's not just another banana bread alternative for uh, lockdown, right? There must be something that's clearly from the way you describe what you do and your journey you're on that's really driven the need to write this book. So tell me about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess my my interest in the, the kind of human-centric, where I initially started was people-centric. Um, and that that kind of world, it was probably really in my chief workplace officer role um, a few years back. And I remember writing my annual strategy about how to create a people-centric workplace. Um, oh. And that was really driven by the values of the company, the challenges that we had, um, not just in the company, but more on a, a macro level as well. Um, the My experiences, the stories that my friends were telling me at other companies as well, and my network, and it was like, oh, we need to do better for each other. And I think this is where the, the drive was really for me. Was there a particular moment or thing that happened that was the real catalyst for actually starting, staring at that first blank piece of paper and writing some words? Um, my, my journey was a bit back to front actually because the publisher actually reached out to me and said um we we've been following you for a while mm. um we like what you do you, we like your blogs would you be interested in writing a book 
So I usually would write a proposal or at least start the book and then send it to publishers. So mine was a bit back to front. Mm. So I'd signed the contract and then sat down and went, right, now I need to write this book. And that was an awful moment thinking, oh, it was, <laughs> it was easy to put my signature on it, but now I've got to actually do it. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the kind of the topic really was what's my passion. And it was, I've just worked with way too many companies that don't put people first mm. and suffer consequences of doing that. Mm. I think what's really interesting from your perspective is, as I sort of mentioned in the intro, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about human leadership, right? And we, we use the term human leadership because I hate soft skills. I think that's just rubbish. For yeah. us, right? um, but your perspective from somebody who started at least and still focuses on the whole facilities part of, of the building, the place of work, and the crucial role that that plays, not in isolation, but in harmony with the other things, is is really interesting, right? It's really separate. So when we get into that structure of the book, what, what are the sort of key messages that you want to take out? And how does your role, your perspective from a facilities piece really sort of run through the whole context of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess the pandemic threw this into a bit of a whirlwind, obviously. Um, but I think where where things started really was that, you know, within within the book and facilities management and how that ties into the human-centric bit is mm. I've had far too many years of people assuming that facilities management is about bricks and mortar. Right. Um, and I've always seen it as the profession that is – creating a community and a place that people can do their job um and i think the bricks and the mortar is just where people go yeah but it's the it's the vibe of the organization that's always stood out to me and it's the how are people seeing facilities management and how are they you know are they for instance only contacting you when something goes wrong like let's say toilets always <laughs> always happens air conditioning you know, all of the obvious facilities management things, is that when they only, is that the only interaction they have with you? Actually, I wanted to change things. So um, in the organisation I was working at, it was more, how can we just create this place that people like being? Um, and, you know, that extended to office dogs and, you know, just even, you know, all the, all the cliche things really that you look at now. But at the time, it was creating a place that people love being in. Mm. And, you know, all of the, the data we was getting back was every time we implemented something, it was people centric and the impact was was really positive on the, the kind of the well-being of people, the happiness of people, the, the productivity of people. Um, and we we're just creating this place that was sure there was an element of facilities management that obviously underpinned everything. But for us, it was all that stuff just happens behind the scenes um, and it was you know that that's the things that have to happen whereas the placemaking was something that was like in addition to yeah um, and i think this is where facilities management industry struggles because we are used to being the the ninjas that just fix things without people realizing mm. um and then they only ever see us as the people that fix things um so i think we uh, we really tried as a team to just drive that brand of you no know, it's about employee experience facilities management are enabling the experience so. i mean which is which is great right because you can 
there's there's a sort of metaphor in here for anybody's role that there's the individual role job description kind of things that you do um but the why behind doing what you do is crucially important and and then how you go about doing it so the thing i've kind of taken from watching watching your message mainly on places like linkedin or what have you is that this this drive to have a greater impact and you you've used the word impact uh, before uh, and i think you're using it again here is that trying to understand the impact that you play in the role that you that you've got the impact the building and the facilities have how you serve somebody all these things have knock on effects right for how we turn up at work the work that we do you've mentioned things like productivity which i'm sure we'll we'll kind of get into um let me take a quick step back though before we we dig into that sort of stuff normally in these kind of situations someone is trying to put something right <laughs> so you've sort of touched on it just now but what were you trying to put right in the world of workplace facilities management and all those sorts of things from your perspective because there's a message in what you talk about about doing better so yeah. what what was that what was that thing yeah um I think the thing was driven I'm going to be honest initially it was probably a bit of um imposter syndrome that was driving my concerns I guess that people only ever thought it was here to fix things mm. and it was oh we can do more than that and there was that interesting thing but I think the thing that was going wrong which I guess is what you're asking was facilities being about the bricks and the mortar um mm. facilities only ever getting called on when something was wrong um getting missed out of key business kind of stakeholder conversations um whether it be how is the the place supporting people are people you know how are people from a well-being point of view you know almost forgetting that the impact the physical environment has on people and I think too many organizations were doing that. And it was like, no, I want to fix this. Facilities management is the absolute underpinning thing to everything that happens in an organization, um, you know, at that that level. Because if you've got an office and it's not how people want to use the office, it's not safe for them, it's not healthy for them, it's not got that experience, it's not got that vibe, people are not going to want to go there. Mm. Um, and even when all of them things are right, it doesn't necessarily mean that thing, people are going to want to go there. It just means that essentially, you know, you're there as an enabler um, and you're there when people choose. And I think choice is an important one, I guess we can cover later, but it's the choice of people. And I think that's the bit that was going wrong in that facilities management should be about enabling choice. And I think for too long, organisations have used facilities management as like the, the the stick to beat people with. Mm-hmm. If this is this is where you're sitting. This is your assigned seat. This is the meeting room. You need to book it. This is the technology that you need to use. And it all of the choice bit just felt like it was being removed um, because it wasn't being people driven. It was about the leader of the, the organisation. Uh, whether it be CEO or the head of facilities, it was about what they wanted rather than what the people wanted about who worked there and who the place was actually for. So you were doing more engagement, right, and data mining, I guess, with the people who actually facilitating work in that work workplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, that, that whole thing of, you know, um, for me it was 
you know, I walk through the office and if I don't, if I don't interact with people, then I've done something wrong. Mm. And I expect on a, if I'm going to my desk to a meeting room and back again, I would want to speak to at least 10 people on the way because it's, it's, you know, essentially facilities should be about being that hub of, of the office. Mm. You're there about, you know, you're picking up the vibe of people, you know, when something's not quite right. And that could be about the space. It could be about the culture but you facilities are the ones that hear the stories, feel the stories and see the impacts of what's going on in the organization. If they ask the questions, yeah. right? Because I think from what you're saying, that's not the norm, no. right? It, it's more reactive rather than a, a planned conscious um, workplace design, right? I think it has been, I think it's getting better. Um, there's some really good examples and really good leaders out there that are being more proactive. Um, there is still, I'm going to say the, the old guard, Mm. that very much see facilities management as the bricks and the mortar and you know the people stuffs up to hr um but that i think that is changing and what have you seen as the biggest changes in the sort of i guess solutions that you're pulling together for businesses right now simone what what's what's happening i think technology and data um is the the two things and i guess that's not a surprise as such but for years, um, you know, we've we've kind of had in facilities management, we've had a lot of spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> we've we've had a lot of missing gaps in data and information, and a lot of assumptions that have had to be made. Um, and I think what's really changing in, in these departments now is they see the need for technology to enable the human experience, but then also the technology to drive the facilities team to enable that experience. So teams are getting more and more platforms to use um, to drive that experience. And I think that's one thing that has definitely stood out for me. And then the data, um, you know, there was a report a few years back uh, by IWFM about, I guess, how how behind the curve facilities management was when it comes to technology and data. But I can definitely see that improving now um, over the last, I'm going to say, couple of years since covid and maybe that's just the amount of the surveys that have gone out and the amount of data that we've actually collected maybe it's really driven everybody to to really look at the answers um but i think you know the thing that i talk about day in day out is <clears throat> you know data in an organization you've got different forms of data and you've got your surveys that is you know what are people thinking feeling what are their desires um you've then got kind of space booking data and calendar data which is what are people's intentions you know how how are they going to go to work that week where are they going to be and then you've got the the actual data um and the actual data is well what what actually happened on the ground and that's where you get into like you know building access control systems and sensors and wi-fi and you know looking at the you've got to look at that i've called it golden triangle because if you're not looking at desire intentions and actual behaviors then you're going to miss something and the sweet spot is obviously somewhere in the middle because if we drive our workplaces off everybody's desires that's going to be not only a hard job but it's going to be um, probably a little bit fickle as well mm. um, and if you only drive it off people's behaviors then how can you change them behaviors so the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle um, and i think that's where it's improving i like that i like i like i do like a triangle right yeah. <laughs> triangles are great um <laughs> Just help me understand a bit. So I've got two sort of types of question here. Firstly, uh, 
do you, are you finding that the workplace then on the back of all this stuff is actually being used differently now maybe influenced over the last sort of like handful of years i don't know whether we're thinking about because people attending and this is a sweeping statement and you please correct me attending to come together physically less often mm-hmm. are the spaces being designed differently now to facilitate more, I don't know, collaboration, innovation, those sorts of things, or is it is still the mainstay of, of, of what we have going on? And then you've mentioned a couple of things, particularly, how is the work that you're doing really influencing engagement of the guys actually in the workplace and facilitating the the holy grail of increased productivity? Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess. So, you know, if we go back to the, how a space is being used and designed mm. today. Um, I don't I don't think we're at the, the core answer of that yet. And I don't think it's going to be an answer that is a cookie cutter across industry. Mm. I think that's where the organization needs to truly say, what is our office for? Um, what do our people need and want to use that office for? And how does that enable the company? So I don't think it's a, a one size fits all across. Are you thing- are you are you hearing more companies ask that sort of question? Because I, yeah. you know that that probably wasn't even a question in the past, was it? It was just, we just need a building to get everybody in. Yeah, it was about, you know, we need to know that people are working nine to five and they've turned up. Yeah. <laughs> know they're working. And, you know, it's where presenteeism has initially can obviously come from. Mm. So I think the the drive, and we've, we've seen it in our data as well, is that, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic and as everyone started kind of looking into the crystal ball of what the future looked like, there was lots of talk of, ripping desks out and replacing it with collaboration spaces because people will only go to the office to collaborate. Mm. And at the time I was like, that's not right. That's surely not, that that can't be right. And I was, I was definitely disagreeing with what, what some <laughs> industry was saying. Um, and a lot of it was being driven by, I guess, furniture companies. And then you think, well, is there a vested interest there? Yeah. And, you know, you look at all the vested interests that happen and you, you've got tech companies saying tech is the future and you've got real estate companies saying everyone needs to come back to the office and you know, everyone's going to have their own angle. Mm. Um, but, you know, what are people truly saying and doing? And I think the thing we have seen in the data, we, we, you know, at Relogix, we, we kind of measure about 40 million square feet of, of workplace. That's a fair amount. <laughs> yeah, glo- globally as well. So we see nice global trends. And actually, my colleague's done a benchmarking report that's going to come out next week. So mm. if anyone's interested, reach out and you can have a look at it. Um, and, you know, essentially, you know, af- across that that space is what we have seen is, yes, there's been a reduction in desks that are being used. And there's definitely been an increase in the amount of closed meeting rooms being used and the collaboration spaces and I think a lot of it that's driving it is the fact that we haven't got used to how to manage our diaries yet to how we're going to be in the office. Yeah. So when there's all all the talk of people going to the office and, oh, there's nobody here. Why am I here? Might as well go home again. I'm not going back there again because the people I want to see are not there. Mm. So we need that behavior change and people obviously need to be intentional about what they're doing in the office, who they're meeting. And of course, if tech can underpin all of that, brilliant, because, you know, it's going to streamline things. But then there's the angle as well of people looking at their diaries and thinking, yeah, I'm going to go into the office, but then being stuck on back-to-back Teams and Zooms calls all day. Yeah. And again, like that, you might as well have done that from home. Mm. So, you know, what is the purpose of the office? Because if you want to just go and sit in an office and sit on a Teams call all day, you've kind of got to ask yourself, what is that? And if it is just 
I need a change of scenery. I'm sick of looking out my own bedroom window, office window, whatever. Mm. That's that's fine also. But I think we need to understand the reasons behind it. And if it is that people are being told to go into an office three days a week and stay at home two days a week, and on them three days, they're just simply thinking, well, I've got to go to the office then three days. It's not my choice. And actually, my diary's back-to-back with Zoom call. Therefore, what is the point in me being in the office? That's going to create some true disgruntled employees mm. because they've lost a choice. They don't feel like they've got any control over where they're going and how they manage their diaries. And then they're going to an office and just sitting there on a call that they could have just done at home and then essentially adding all the commute issues and you know all the, the hassle of, that comes with the commute and the cost that comes with the commute and the time. You add all of that in at the front and the beginning and and you know it's not going to lead to that great employee experience and i think what's become really key over the last few months for me what really stood out is the fact that people are happy to commute to an office as long as there re- there's a purpose and there's a reason mm-hmm. and they're in control of when they do that um and i think that goes into as well of what what is the location of the office if it's on some back street in the middle of nowhere people are not going to want to commute an hour to get to it. If it is in the central location and it's got amenities around it and it's something that people can think, oh, I've got to take that shirt back to, you know, X, Y, and Z at lunchtime. I'm going to, I'll go to the office and I'll, I'll take that and I'll, I'll take that back. I'll take my uh, online shopping back. And if it's uh, actually a fancy meeting and friend after work, I'm going to have a drink. Okay, well, I'm going to be in the office that day so I can meet them in that location. And I think it's more about that human experience from start to finish. It's about our lives same as all the conversations that happen at the moment around people that are taking children to school and previously they would take children to school and carry on driving and go to the office and now they're going back home and then they're going back out to pick the children from school and it's increasing the the mileage that essentially people are doing day in day out because it's not that one continuous journey Mm. more miles and you think Right. Okay. So, what? How do we make the? How do we get the people to really want to drive the extra few miles to go to the office instead of turning around and driving extra miles to just go back home? And I think there's there's pros and cons for all of it, but I think the key thing is it goes back to choice. Right. And so, and this is the bit I guess that's then influencing overall levels of engagement. And mm-hmm. I know that you've got some views on how it influences productivity too. Can you just elaborate on some of that for me? Yeah, sure. If you if you look at actually, I'll you know look at Gallup research. You know the the average globally is is the highest is something like thirty three percent engaged, and the lowest is fourteen percent engaged, and the lowest is in the UK. Yay! It's like yay, great. Only four. Something, something we're winning at. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's better than nil point, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, um, but yeah, like when you when you look at that engagement, you think, oh wow what's what's going wrong and i think i think there's a lot of macro things happening at different levels as well but like when, within the workplace i think we've still got an issue with trust i think we've still got an issue with people basically presenteeism and i think we've got an issue where certain leaders are trying to control and there's mistrusting and that is people feeling that but i also think there's a change of not necessarily generational, but I think there's people coming into the workplace now that are happy to push boundaries. They're happy to challenge the status quo. Um, And I think that's driving real change. Um, And I think when you look at engagement, 
the people that are, I'm going to say, nearer to retirement, it's almost, I get the feeling from the data, um, from reading between the lines and everything that I have, the people that are nearer to retirement of not sitting comfy as such, but of more the, I'm happy to go into the office. This is what I've always known. Whereas the people coming into the into the workplace, they've just maybe had two years, let's say, working virtually at university. Um, and they've had two years, you know, sat in their bedrooms and thinking, actually, I should have been at university. And there was upsides and downsides to that. But then they're going into the workplace and being told they have to go to a place. And when you when you get into that three and two pattern that keeps happening, which was just pulled out of thin air, potentially by the media, uh, this hybrid working model, um, it's not necessarily got any meaning and data behind the three and the two. Mm. Um, it feels like, again, it's been something that's been driven by control and mistrust. And I think we, we're still not getting it right. And that's impacting the engagement and productivity. And are there guys who you can see that are really getting it right, particularly on the productivity front, right? Because there's a there's always a thing in engagement where people feel like it's just a ruse to get more out of me for nothing, which is, I guess, where the mistrust thing that you mentioned sort of comes from. It's not it's not genuinely there to try and uh, encourage, grow, help, support people. There's a an ulterior motive that is driving everything, right? Is that is that what you're seeing? But who who's bucking the trend? Who who's doing some really good stuff? Oh, people like Money Penny as an example. Um, anybody, you know, if you if you go on Google Money Penny um, and look at their Wrexham office, and you look at the not just the physical space of what they've created at Wrexham because it's a great place, and you you truly when you walk in, you're like, wow, that's that's a really great like place to be, and you feel the culture, you feel the vibe. Um, it's it's awesome. And I've, I've got, I don't work with money penner. Um, no, no, I'm not getting any backhanders there. <laughs> it's really my, my kind of opinion of everything that I've felt when I've visited that office and everything I've seen and everything they talk about. Um, you know, they've got a CEO that talks, um, a great, great kind of, it's a spiel, well, that feels unfair, but like a great conversation about what their people mean to them hmm. and it's truly a human-centric environment that they're doing and everything is about their people and you feel that engagement and people are engaged and you know it's yeah it's truly a great workplace so I think that is an organization that people should look at in especially in the UK I think other people that are doing great things people like you know Patagonia and John Lewis um, where they've just had you know really awesome missions and values and policies come out and you know there's, there's some really good good things that people are doing and then there's also some really poor things that people are doing um and i think you know maybe that's a bit of a, a subjective thing but you know it's um there's still parts of the world that are saying you know as of you know november you are going to be back in the office five days a week and you think why 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 are we going back to that um, it's still a message isn't it it's you still i'm still hearing this um deadline <laughs> sort yeah. of day day thing that, that's coming up and i think this is again plays to this position of almost expecting and squeezing out discretionary effort versus the genuine encouragement support in allowing people to do their very very best work which you know, I'm fed up with people thinking it's just a, some sort of fluffy cliche. Genuinely, let's just think for a second. 
if you're really into what you do, if you've got all the tools you need to do it to the best of your ability, and you've got people around you who are equally as excited about doing the thing that you're doing, everything feels better. <laughs> everything exactly. comes out better, right? It's yeah. just, just, just too common sense for me, which I, I guess is where you're really, really yeah. coming from. Yeah, and you know, like there's there's too much talk of like trying to make things sound complicated or mm. making academic it, and yeah, I could spill off a load of big words and talk academic language, but is that going to get us any further forward? Mm. You know, I'm from the north, I'm I've got in the habit of just saying how it's as it is, straight talking, talk to organisations, going, this is what's happening, this is what's going wrong. Let's just get to the core of it. Mm. Let's not sugarcoat things. Um, you know, it's not a, if we truly want to drive change, we have to be kind of bold and and get to the real root cause of what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, I think we've, we've been scared of, of looking under the, the bonnet at times and gone, Oh, let's just carry on as we are because we don't know what kind of horrors we're going to find when we lift this thing up over here. Um, but I think we need to, to truly move forward because people are disengaged at work. Um, mm. And, you know, you only have to spend, you know, 10 minutes on Instagram or TikTok to see how many things you come across about just silly memes about the world of work. Mm. You know, the face you pull when your boss says this or you you come across them instantly and you think, yeah, this is still happening. There's memes being made about it because this is still a thing up and down the country and across the world as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Because I genuinely think there's a generational shift. Um, and I think the younger working generation are less likely, like you say, to put up with it. They're, they're more vocal. Um, I'm not entirely sure what's driving that. There may be a bit of entitlement. (laughs) There may be a bit of the way they've been brought up. There may be some genuine kind of change of the status quo that needs to come. There's old Gen Xers like me who were told how to behave and we did our very best because we didn't want to get in trouble, right? Things changing. The great resignations kind of influenced a lot of those people. And I think it's only going to get more important. And I think the need for change to genuinely engage your people in doing their best work is going to have to take on a wider remit. I, I want to sort of tap into some other of your passions as well, Simone, because you're very much talking about that this is bigger than the building, right? This is not about facilities management. It goes on. We did talk about bricks and mortar today and people, but you go further because you talk in your book about the impact that all this has on the wider community and as far as even as the planet. So I'd I'd like to understand those positions from you as well. So how far reaching is this? What are the impacts? What's happening? What are you doing about it? Yeah, sure. Um, And you can take an example of, you know, let's say person X um, hates the job, um, isn't having a nice time. Um, They come home from work and it's the case of, oh, I'm finally I'm at home or they're getting the Sunday night anxiety about work on Monday morning. All of them things has been traditionally just part of the the norm of our working life. Mm. And all of them horror stories that you hear about people hating work. And then people leaving work, feeling happy, engaged, going meeting their friends, um, going to the gym, going doing any voluntary work. Or are they sitting at home going, oh, I hate, hate my job, hate life. I'm just going to slump in front of Netflix and I'm ordering a takeaway. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure we all have days like that, but 
is that the norm or is it a one-off thing that's the that's the question there um and then you look at the opposite thing of if you look um and i talk about it in my book if you look at kenya as an example mm. They they lose out on $1.1 billion every single year from companies that are not paying the right corporation tax to mm. Kenya. Okay. So coffee beans as an example. So 1.1 billion. That's double what their healthcare budget is. Mm. And women have got a one in 40 chance of dying in childbirth. Mm in kenya mm. so you look at the impact here and obviously you could say well if people paid the right tax that company that that all that country is going to have more money they're going to have better healthcare. they're going to develop more they're going to and it's like we as organizations that are not paying tax to these these different countries um or even this there's examples of companies not paying the right amount of corporation tax in the uk so this is not just a kind of a, a third world thing mm. um you know and i think there's a there's a bit of a fairness equality that needs to happen because when you've got ceos as an example the the average FTSE 500 ceo earns the same as ten thousand people working in the garment factory in bangladesh and you're like where where did this get so in, in you know unequal like we we need to spread spread the love a little bit more. Um, and I think that's the bit that I talk about, about the wider planet, because I think we're often making decisions in organisations without truly understanding what the impact is further down the line. Um, so sure, you know, if you look at the the growth of the, the kind of, again, the FTSE 500, um, you know, the salaries that the, the owners are getting, it's grown by something like 500%. Whereas the bottom fifty percent hasn't grown at all, so it's it's constantly widening that gap over the years, and I think that that for me is the bit around the wider community, the wider impacts of the planet. Because you know, even another example, I guess, is the commuting. If you look at the commuting rates pre-pandemic, commutes were increasing around five percent year on year. So okay, so what? Why was we commuting? We've just shown that actually we don't need to commute every single day, and we can work in a different way. And that's obviously impacting the planet from a climate point of view. So there's there's lots of things that happen day in day out in organisations, right down to, you know, organisation could buy let's say milk in glass bottles or in large containers, and they choose to go and buy it in massive plastic ones because it's cheaper. And it's like, well, yeah, it's cheaper, but what's the cost of that further down the line for the planet when you're using X amount of plastic bottles a week on, on milk for your, your people in your organisation? So it's right down to that micro decision that is made of understanding what is the impact further down the line. I think we've all got to be more conscious of the decisions that we're making day in, day out to truly, you know, I'm sure you've seen everything that's come out about COP27 this week. Um mm. And you know the UN are saying this this is heading for absolute doom if we do not change our behaviours, and I think we really it's time we we woke up to that. And I think this is interesting, and this is the whole point of where the book goes from <laughs> talking from a position from a facilities management person traditionally associated with bricks and mortar and fixing stuff yeah. to the impact that our milk buying habit <laughs> in the office has on the planet. Right, this is why it's wide wide ranging, Simone. I have the part in the show where we get to the summary, right? It's called Sticky Notes. 
I'm looking for you to summarize for me in this context of creating a truly human centric workplace. What would your three little sticky notes of advice be that you'd leave the listeners with? Yeah, uh, listen to your people. Um, and once you've listened, take actions. Um, and then I think the third thing is, you know, be conscious of the decisions that you're making, of the, the wider impacts, um, not just people day to day, but yeah, what happens with the community and the planet as well um, on that bigger scale. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Simone, unbelievably, we've run out of time. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic to sort of scratch the surface of really how the place of work is changing and how it's impacting so many other things, including the experience of employees and the wider planet and the communities in which in which we work. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I shall keep watching and I hope the book sales go really well. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, my me. absolute pleasure, mate. My absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Okay, everyone. That was Simone Fenton Jarvis. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about her or the things we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.